I believe the very same place that Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac was the very place that God himself offered Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. This is such a great picture of the father's and the son's great love for us. Abraham becoming a picture of God who willingly offered his only begotten son, whom he loved as a sacrifice. While Isaac becomes a great picture of Jesus who willingly carried the wood for the sacrifice and willingly gave his life. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, it's good to be back with you this morning. I was not supposed to be doing this message. I was supposed to. Lily and I and Caleb arriving back around 2.30 yesterday. And I just like, you know, 20 years of doing Christmas messages. I'll get it. I'll handle it. And then we got back Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday morning. I thought, well, I better get around to trying to handle this. You know, you're dealing with jet lag and uh, time change and all this stuff going on. And... Of course, it's a Christmas message, and we can go either to the Gospel of Matthew or Luke, or we can even, if we try to uh, slip Christ in John chapter 1 and make a Christmas message out of that, we've done that before. Both Kevin and I, I believe, have done that, but it's not talking about the birth of Christ. It goes all the way back to, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. As I was looking through past Christmas messages, there was something that I began writing back in 2005. And in 2005, I realized that this is way too much for what I want to accomplish. And what I began writing was Christ and the Christmas story as seen from the beginning, kind of taking a journey through the Old Testament, dealing with the significant people or characters of the Old Testament. And even as I went through those notes from 2005, I've never taught this, never put it together. I just extensively wrote out several pages and thought, this is too much, I'll do something else. And even as I went through them again, I'm thinking, this is too much. There's no way I can accomplish this. But 
I did realize that I can look at the Christmas story or Christ is found in the book of Genesis. And so we're going to be looking at that. Some of the significant passages that refer to the coming Messiah and some of those significant individuals, whether men or women, as they interplay in the story of Christ. Remember that when we talk about history, we're talking about his story. We look back at history and we want to know uh, modern man today, perhaps modern man in the United States, want to erase the history of our origins and try to come up with something new and not teach. As I, on Thanksgiving, rehearsed a bit of what the pilgrims went through as they came to our country Initially, my son, I, I send him my messages every week. He's over in Hawaii. And uh, he wrote back and he said, I wish they would have taught this stuff in school. They erase the history. They don't tell us about our history and how Christ, it's his story. And we see that from the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. So we're going to do a rehearsing in the book of Genesis. And I'm going to take you through nine points. And so there's a bit to go through but they're significant, significant in the fact that they all play into the coming of Christ. And the Bible tells us that the Messiah is God's only begotten son and that he and his father were in glory together before the world was, according to John 17, 5. And that the father loved his son before the foundation of the world, according to John 17, 24. And also that the Messiah's coming was foreordained before the foundation of the world, according to 1 Peter 1.20. The Bible also tells us that God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Not only did God the Father choose his Son to be the Savior of the world, but God has chosen us that we might be part of the family of God, that we should be, according to Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. This tells us two things, that Jesus' coming as a babe in a manger was always part of God's plan, and that we were each in God's mind as he, before he even created the world, when he gave the gift of his son. And we see this in the book of Genesis, and God's plan of redemption is being unfolded to us there in the passages in the book of Genesis. We first find this from Genesis 3:15 I titled this a man from the Lord and it was Eve who said these words I have been given a man from the Lord but Eve actually misunderstood the very first proclamation of the gospel and she applied the first proclamation of the gospel to her firstborn son Cain and she she misapplied it Cain was not a good guy Cain would go on to kill his brother Abel, and the godly line would then pick up from the third son of Adam and Eve, from Seth. But 
the first gospel is found in Genesis 3.15. It is called the first gospel and it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. This called the first gospel. And God is cursing Satan after the fall of mankind. And we find the very first prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, where God foretold of Satan bruising the heel of Jesus. And as we know, that would take place upon the cross where Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins. But through the cross, Jesus, in his victorious death, ultimately bruised, or I like it how the NIV says it, crushed the head of Satan. And it's noteworthy that here he said, between your seed and the woman's seed, the woman does not carry the seed. We know that that comes from the man. She has the egg. But it may be a very hint of the virgin birth found way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. But when Eve gave birth to her firstborn son, Cain, she thought that perhaps this is the fulfillment of the word of God to them, saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. She thought that this was fulfillment of the promise of the Lord. She misapplied that, and quite often we can get things wrong when we read the word of God. Eve did it, a great example here. In Genesis 4.1, she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord, yet Cain was not the man. He was not the coming Messiah. He was actually a far cry from the coming Messiah. Yet God's plan of redemption would continue to unfold through Adam and Eve, through their thirdborn son. As this line would come, many godly men and women. One of those who came out of that is the next individual who, to me, is of great significance, and it's that of Enoch, a prophet of God. Now, I gave reference in my notes, and I know I didn't give notes, make notes for you this morning. I didn't have a lot of time on this one, so forgive me on this. But I gave reference because Enoch, the prophet of God, actually refers to in Jude verses 14 and 15, I'm going to read from Genesis, but also we find that Enoch is referenced in the New Testament with a prophecy that he spoke. And the first noteworthy of these men, Enoch, of whom the Bible said that he walked with God twice in Genesis 5.22 and also in verse 24, that Enoch was a man of great faith who walked with God. Not only did he walk with God, he was a prophet of God who prophesied, saying, Jude 14 and 15, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch actually prophesied of the Lord's second coming. This is not a first coming prophecy, but there in the beginning, after God created the heavens and the earth, as man began to walk away from the God who created them, 
God raised up a prophet, a man who walked with God, a man of great faith who prophesied concerning the Lord's second coming, that he is coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. This is the Savior that we're looking for today. We're not looking for Christ to come again as a babe in the manger, but we're looking for the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where he executes judgment upon this earth and brings truth and justice into this world. And although this prophecy properly speaks of the second coming, it speaks of the Messiah's coming, that the Messiah is coming. The Bible tells us that Enoch was such a great man of faith that he did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. But before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Again, that coming from Hebrews 11.5. Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. We next find a savior to the world. It's not the Messiah, but Noah, a descendant of Enoch, became a type of a savior to the world itself. We know this Noah as the one who built the ark. When God sent a flood to judge the earth, he saved in that ark Noah and his three sons and their wives, so eight in all, plus many of the animals, two by two, of animals, of beasts, of creeping things, of the birds of the air, were brought into the ark. And it tells us in Genesis 6, 8, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It said of Enoch that Enoch walked with God. And it also says of Noah that he walked with God in Genesis 6, 9. And as a result of his faith in God, although Noah lived in a world that was filled with corruption, the Bible tells us that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I can identify a little bit with Noah because I look around our world and there is a lot of corruption in this world today. There's a lot of bad things taking place. But in the midst of all the bad that we see in the world, God's grace can be upon us. We can be a people through faith in Jesus Christ who finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it's in the story of Noah and the flood that we have this great example of God's saving power. And though all of mankind, of the animals, of the birds, died as a result of the flood, God spared Noah and his family. He spared eight humans, plus a selected groups of animals and birds who sheltered in the ark, which God had commanded Noah to build. And at that time, though not a perfect man, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah himself became a type of the Savior of the world. One day a descendant of Noah would come, who is the Savior of the world, to show forth the great mercy of the Father, who sent his Son to seek and to save that which is lost. Remember that it was only those who were sheltered within the ark that were saved, and it's only those who find shelter within Jesus Christ, and the saving power of Jesus Christ, who will be saved. We live in a world that teaches different things. We live in a world that teaches that there is no God. There is no true faith. We live in a world that even within the churches, 
They're not sure if Christ is the only way. But the word of God tells us that only those who come to faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. You have to be like in the days of Noah, sheltered in the provision that God has made. In Noah's day, it was an ark. In our day, it is Christ. We have to be in Christ himself. And so God takes from Genesis 3.15, the very first prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, and he begins to direct it through the family and the lineage of Adam and Eve, through Enoch and through Noah. And now he, continuing in that line, he comes to Abram, a father of many nations, as it tells us in Genesis 17.5. It was to Abram that God promised to make a nation to come from his loins that in him, the Bible tells us, Genesis 12, 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this wonderful promise to Abram not only spoke of the coming Messiah, but it was given to Abram when he was 75 years old and without an heir. He had no son, and yet God told Abram at 75 years old, it's through your child all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And for the next 10 years, Abram faithfully followed the call of God upon his life. For 10 years, Abram kept telling his wife at the time, her name, Sarai, that God has called us to have a son. And I imagine for 10 years, this was highly debated in their household as they kept getting older. That really, you think I'm having a baby? In fact, toward the end of those 10 years, Sarai decided that there's no way she's going to have a child and uh, presented Abram, her handmaid, and through her, a son was born, Ishmael, but this was not the chosen, not the son that God was referring to. And so Abraham confronted the Lord. Ten years later, he confronted the Lord on this in Genesis 15, verses 2 and 3. He said, Lord God, what will you give me since I go childless? Look, you have given me no offspring. But God bound himself to a covenant with Abraham that night, telling him in Genesis 15, 4, one who will come from your own body will be your heir. And the Lord went on to tell Abram that his seed would be as the number of the stars in heaven. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 15, 6, that Abram believed God and that it was accounted to him for righteousness. And yet still the son did not come. It was not until Abram was 99 years old that God came to him once again, his wife now being 89 years old. They still had not had a son, the son that we know as Isaac. And God gave Abram a new name at this time in Genesis 17.5. He says, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name shall be called Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. God's promise came true when Abraham's wife, Sarah, conceived, gave birth to Isaac when she was 90 years old and Abraham was 100 years old. God's promise of the Messiah was now narrowed down to a single family from which came the nation of Israel, but also through which would come our beloved Messiah. 
And speaking of our beloved Messiah, Abraham then had a beloved son. It brings us to the next individual, and that is of Isaac. But it really, it's a story of a father and the son. In Genesis 22, verse 2, years later, when Isaac was much older, and I have to tell you, I remember when I was in Sunday school as a child, and this is kind of locked in my memory banks, and I believe it's totally wrong, that when Abram, or Abraham at this point, took his only son, as it says in Genesis 22, 2, and God coming to Abraham saying, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall tell you. I have locked in my mind as a child, now an adult, but I think it came from my childhood, and maybe those little felt uh, Sunday school boards that they had back then, of Abraham taking a little boy to Mount Moriah. But I am totally convinced now that Abraham did not take a boy, but took a man. As Isaac represented Jesus Christ himself in this story. But Abraham was faithful to the call of the Lord upon him. And he went to the mountain that God showed him. And the Bible specifically says he went on a three-day journey. We know the cross is connected to three days as well. And we also know that the cross itself was set on a mountain in Israel called Moriah. I believe the very same place that Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac was the very place that God himself offered Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. This is such a great picture of the father's and the son's great love for us. Abraham becoming a picture of God who willingly offered his only begotten son, whom he loved as a sacrifice. While Isaac becomes a great picture of Jesus who willingly carried the wood for the sacrifice and willingly gave his life. Isaac was willing to lay it down upon that altar. I have to believe if Isaac was in his 30s, right around the age of Christ, and Abraham, about 130 years old, Personally, I believe that Isaac could overpower his dad, saying, you're not putting me on that altar. I would not want to wrestle my son because I know he could beat me up. That happened when he was in a, a teenager at some point, but I would never have admitted that to him then. But the surrender of both Abraham and Isaac, of the father and the son, what a great picture we have. A place where God showed Abraham to offer his son is the very place where God offered his only begotten son, Jesus, who there on Mount Moriah, where Abraham told his son Isaac, where Abraham told his son Isaac in Genesis 22, 8, saying, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. At this very place, God provided himself the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The gift has been given. It's our Savior Jesus. To properly be received, it has to be open. Through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, we surrender our lives to God's will, believing that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the grave, believing that Jesus came as a babe, believing that he is coming again, believing that by his blood, 
and the work that he did upon the cross that he has accomplished. It is finished everything necessary for our salvation. All we need to do is to trust and to rest in the salvation that God has already provided through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to do that. I pray that each one here today has surrendered their life to you. But if not, Lord, may this be the day that they not only hear about the gift, but actually receive it for the very first time, that lives would be surrendered to you if needed today, Lord. And as believers, Lord, perhaps you are calling us to a deeper commitment. I don't know our prayers, Lord, today. I don't know what you're pressing upon our hearts. But we have seen, Lord, since the beginning of time that you have been working out your plan of salvation as found in the book of Genesis today. And we understand, Lord, that you continue to work that plan out in our lives this day. And so, Father, we pray that your will would be done, that we would be uh, your people, your sheep, that we would surrender this morning to your will and that we would wait upon you. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and in our lives. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.